HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by Byright, a family-owned San Francisco-grown market. For more information, visit byrightmarket.com. I'm Erin Fairbanks, host of The Farm Report. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Good afternoon and welcome. This is What Doesn't Kill You, Food Industry Insights. I'm your host, Katie Kiefer. And uh, today we're going to talk Vitamania, um, our obsessive quest for nutritional perfection. The author is Catherine Price. Her work has appeared in publications including the Best American Science Writing, the New York Times, Popular Science, O Magazine, the Los Angeles Times, San Francisco Chronicle, the Washington Post Magazine, Salon, Slate, Men's Journal, Mother Jones, Health Magazine, and Outside. She's also a contributing editor at Popular Science and author of a parody travel guide called 101 Places Not to See Before You Die. I must have that. And the Big Sur Bakery Cookbook. Uh, she's won numerous awards for her writing, and in her spare time, she started an online business called Illegal Briefs that sells legally-themed underwear. I'm going to have to check that out, Catherine. Welcome to the show. Thanks so much for joining me. Thanks for having me. <laughs> that is quite a resume, girlfriend, I got to say. I mean, you are, again, one of those people that just makes me feel incredibly inadequate. But, you know, we'll go on from there. I'll try to survive. <laughs> I have to say that no one has brought up illegal briefs yet. In, uh, I, I, I think it's an important... <laughs> I think it speaks volumes about you, actually. Um, I, first it I'm does, like, actually. <laughs> yeah, totally. Because you're very freaking funny. I mean, I can't tell you the number of times I laughed out loud reading that book. It was hilarious. I mean, aside from being excellent science reporting, it was also very funny. So thank you for that. Because it, um, you know, it could have it veered off into the really dry. But no, <laughs> you managed to make our obsessive quest for nutritional perfection really entertaining and I my hat's off to you. So tell us what what prompted you to write this book. Right. So yeah, the the inspiration for the book actually was my husband who also was the inspiration for the legally themed underwear company. I am now Uh-oh. realizing. <laughs> Oh, yeah, he's the source of many of my ideas. Um, but basically, he turned to me one day and he just asked me what a vitamin was. Uh-huh. And I tried to answer him and realized I didn't really have a good answer for him. Right. I mean, I knew that I knew that 
I'd taken them as a kid and I knew Flintstones and I knew about scurvy, but I really didn't know anything beyond that. And I just thought that was so weird because vitamins are something that obviously all of us are familiar with yeah. or think we're familiar with. But when you actually try to scratch beneath the surface, it's strange to think that these things we take for granted um, are still so mysterious to us. And I thought it was especially strange because, you know, I, I do write about food and science and I also um, have type 1 diabetes. I was diagnosed when I was 22. Um, which is the autoimmune form of the disease. And so I always have to pay fastidious attention to uh, the carbohydrate count of my foods and just think about food as chemistry. So it was strange to think that I can't go into like a Starbucks without thinking about carbohydrates, but I had never actually gone the level deeper to think about micronutrients like vitamins. So basically my husband was like, you should write a book about it. <laughs> and that was like four years ago. Whoa. Yeah. Well, I mean, you're the depth and breadth of your research shows. I mean, it's, it's really to your credit that you put in that much time because it is such an incredibly complex science and so poorly understood as you demonstrated ably. Um, but before we sort of go on, let's, let's talk, just define the differences between vitamins and supplements. And also let's talk a little bit about the value value of the industry in terms of how much money it represents. So, I mean, I was stunned. I think you said 32 billion. Was that right? The latest is actually 36 billion oh is the my estimate. God. Yeah. And that includes For vitamins and supplements. Yes. Yeah, so, so, so vitamins. So yes, yeah, so to define them, which is a good place to start, because I at least was confusing this in my own mind when I started this book. Um, there's only 13 human vitamins and that's a a, C, D, E, K, and then the eight B vitamins that have names like riboflavin and thiamine and niacin and folic acid. Um, th those are the ones that are basically necessary in small amounts to prevent specific deficiency diseases. And without them, we would either have a horrible deficiency disease or in many cases die. So <laughs> those are the 13. We definitely need them. Mm -hmm. But that word vitamin is often used to refer to the much, much larger category of dietary supplements. And there are about 85,000 dietary supplement <laughs> products for sale in America. And so what does like that represent to, about oh, magical sorry, thinking? I'm sorry. But <laughs> yeah, it's right. crazy. So if you go into the drugstore, I actually took a picture of this the other day, you'll often see that they'll have a sign that says vitamins mm -hmm. labeling the aisle. And then you look at the aisle and it's a whole aisle full of products. And it's not just A, B, C, D, you know, E and K. It's right. like everything else you can imagine um, on the shelves. So anyway, yeah, so the the overall dietary supplement market, which does include vitamins in the U.S., is estimated to be about $36 billion. And vitamins make up about $11 billion of that. And then the rest, like 26 or so, $25 billion is uh, the, these, other, these other dietary supplements. So it's an enormous industry. And that was interesting to me, too, because you kind of think, like, vitamins so natural. You know, these are these, like, as someone put it to me, aging hippies in their backyards, you know. Yeah, totally. I'm <laughs> growing right. herbs or whatever for the supplements. <laughs> and it's, it's not the case. It's an enormous, enormous industry. Yeah. And it includes some very unlikely um, candidates as supplements. But let's, um, let's move on and talk about um, sort of biofortification, which began, I mean, you do a very able history of um, how sort of the vitamin industry grew as people began to understand, like with scurvy, which, I mean, your opening chapter about scurvy was like such an eye-opener. Who knew that one-third of every ship's crew would perish from scurvy at sea? And that they were, yeah, you know, up to a half sometimes. Crazy. Yeah. Truly incredible. crazy. Incredible. And then the whole thing about vitamin A and night blindness and blindness in children in developing countries. Again, another real mm -hmm. cautionary tale about why we need these um, and yet uh, how these these fundamental needs have been capitalized on and added to. And anyway, but we will get there. So biofortification. And then let's talk about the evolution of how we started to consume vitamins and supplements in a pill form rather than through our actual foods. 
and what the sure. difference so, is. Yeah, yeah. I mean, to start with biofortification, it's basically the idea of um, trying to grow plants that would have more, in this case, vitamins. I mean, you could pick whatever nutrient you want, but fortified in some way with, uh, with vitamins. And so there's a couple ways you can do that. Um, one is through traditional breeding where you just select out plants that happen to have more of a certain vitamin and then mm-hmm. select for those. It's interesting because traditionally in the U.S. in the past you know, 100 years or so, that hasn't actually been done because we've been more, more, fo- more focused on yields and shelf lives, right. stuff like that, um, which makes sense given our food supply and how far fruits and vegetables have to travel and how we want them in every season. But the um, nutritional content hasn't been as much of a focus. And one project I uh, learned about that I thought was interesting is that Burpee, the seed company, recently mm-hmm. launched this collection called the Boost Collection. And it's basically a collection of um, it's like tomatoes and peppers and stuff that they just picked out of their pre-existing um, catalog that they happened to notice have higher levels of certain micronutrients. Um, I mean, they're not. I don't think they're really like that much different from the other ones because obviously, if you're growing if you're growing burpee crops in your garden, you're probably eating a pretty nutritious diet. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but it's kind of, but it's kind of cool to see them. I went to the farm where they develop these, and it's cool to see, you know, them trying to see like could this also be a business opportunity to pick out some of these that have extra stuff in them. So you have that option. Um, and a larger scale, as you were saying, like vitamin A deficiency, for example, is a huge problem around the world. It's causing something between 250 and 500,000 kids around the world to go blind each year and up to 90% of those kids to die because vitamin A is very important for our immune system. So in the U.S. it's really easy to kind of, I don't know, uh, judge how people should get their vitamins, but it's just it's so difficult to get enough of them to all these people. Mm -hmm. So one solution is to breed things like sweet potatoes that would have naturally higher levels of beta carotene that you can turn into vitamin A. Um, although our conversion isn't great. And then another one is golden rice, which obviously mm-hmm. has been a huge controversy. Uh, in my research, I just I thought it was really interesting because my conclusion was basically there's obviously concerns with GMOs, but that it is unwise to lump them all together into one basket and make a lump judgment about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I found golden rice to be a really interesting example. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I agree. It could be useful. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I don't think it's the I don't think it's the antichrist. I just think that there are problems having one or two companies essentially control the food supply. That's my issue, with right? It. But anyway, yeah, yeah. And it's interesting because you yeah, like the political stuff, or you know, mm-hmm. there can be other issues. But it was interesting to me to talk to the scientists who actually developed the um, the rice and hear mm-hmm. their motivations and learn more about the science behind it, and then to learn about this enormous problem and think, okay, well, we have these concerns on the one side, and then on the other side, you have all these kids who are going blind and dying. So right. how do you balance? this all. It was really interesting, I thought. I, I thought fascinating. I was, I mean, as I say, this book was a phenomenal read. I mean, I just can't tell you how much I enjoyed it. Um, well, yes, I can, actually. I could spend the whole rest of the program, but I, I'll try to <laughs> refrain from that. Um, but let's, um, I want to go back to the fortification thing, because the other part of fortification is what we put vitamin D in our milk, or we've milled right. out flour, all the nutrients from flour, and so we restore various vitamins to that through fortification. So I just wanted to, like, drill in on that for just a second, and then talk about how because um, I thought one of the main arguments of your book and most interesting was how consumption of vitamins in pill form basically gives us a pass on eating nutrient-rich foods. And so I, I just wanted to yeah. get a little bit into how that how that whole evolution of how we sort of add these nutrients back without truly understanding what we might be missing in the process. Right. I thought that was really interesting, too, because in some ways it seemed hypocritical to me that we're so judgmental about other people's vitamin sources, and we don't realize, I had not realized, how many of our own vitamins mm-hmm. come not from 
nature, quote unquote, however you want to define it, but not from vitamins that are naturally found in like oranges, but they're actually synthetic additions. So Mm -hmm. like you said, most of the vitamin D in milk is actually synthetic and it comes from um, uh, sheep sheep wool. You get lanolin, which is the grease on sheep wool, Mm -hmm. and you irradiate it with UVB uh, radiation, and then it turns into vitamin D in the same way that it would in our skin in response to sunlight, which sounds totally weird. Totally (laughs) weird. I I just find it kind of fascinating. It's fine to take that kind of vitamin D. But anyway, um, starting in the 1930s and 40s, it became possible to add synthetic vitamins to foods because the synthetic vitamins were, man-made vitamins were created. Um, That was around the same time that our modern kind of supermarket began to develop with these products Mm. that were meant to last for long times and had to be shipped across the country. And it was very interesting because the challenge there is that if you if you need something to stay shelf stable for like a month, you have to really refine and process it because there's a lot of stuff in the food that would make it go bad, yeah. um, like some of the fats. So you have to process it, but that removes a lot of the natural vitamins in it. So you end up with this totally nutritionally empty product that actually you couldn't we couldn't base our diets around these products if we didn't have the ability to put back vitamins that were taken out during Mm -hmm. processing and that was a big revelation for me to realize that you know when we talk about oh should you get vitamins from pills or from food a lot of us are getting them from food but it's not we're essentially taking a multivitamin through our breakfast cereal so it's not really as clear of a distinction as we like to make it seem between pills and food. There's like vitamins naturally found in food, mm-hmm. vitamins we add to food, which are the same as vitamins you take as a pill. Right. But we're very dependent on them. Yes. And and I, the point that you made that I thought was so interesting is that in the process of using these vitamins to replace nutrients that we've taken away from processing, there could be other chemicals or other micronutrients in that food that are are essentially unknown at this point, just because the science of nutrition seems to be pretty nascent. I mean, it's, it doesn't seem right. Right. I mean, I just thought that was fascinating. It's like, you don't really know, like when you take mill off all of the nutrients from, uh, you know, a grain of wheat, um, you don't actually know what other compounds are synthesizing with those essential vitamins that allow your body to absorb them in ways that you potentially do not do when you take it in a pill or in a, you know, in a fortified cereal or something like that. That, that, that distinction yeah. to me was really, really key in understanding like basically how little we know about nutrition and also how important it is to eat whole foods. I mean, it was just really interesting right. to me. And that was interesting to me too, because a lot of the coverage about the book so far has kind of been like, vitamins are bad for us. And that's actually not what my message no. has been, as you just pointed out. It's, you know, the debate between synthetic and quote unquote natural vitamins to me is a lot less interesting than what you're talking about, which is the idea that when you eat a whole food, there's a lot of other stuff in there that we don't understand and that we don't even necessarily know about, yeah. but that could be good for our health. And that is just not put back into processed foods or pills because we don't know about it. And then also, as you said, a lot of these compounds seem to work synergistically, so they're acting differently together in your orange than they would if you pulled them out independently and put them into, like, you know, orange capsules or whatever, and you just can't replicate it. And then the other thing I found concerning is that when you think about vitamins as the be-all, end-all to nutrition or the idea of isolated dietary compounds as, like, the secrets to health, you think that anything you put them back into must be healthy, and you completely lose sight of the fact that if you have a cupcake and it has vitamins in it or if it has chia seeds in it or whatever the latest thing is in it, mm. it's still a cupcake. So you, it gives us kind of <laughs> this excuse to pursue exactly. really unhealthy dietary habits thinking we're healthy. 
Yeah, exactly. That's. I mean, that. I thought that was such a great point that you made. Um, I don't want to miss an opportunity to talk about uh, meals ready to eat, which is what our armed forces <laughs> serve up to our boys in uniform, <clears throat> and they are nutritionally uh, carefully devised uh, to both be completely shelf stable and not need heating or any processing of any kind, um, but also um, to be nutritionally complete, but only for 21 days. And I, you know, I, I, I definitely want you to talk about what was in those packages. <laughs> yeah, that was fun. They also need to be able to be airdropped, which I was like, you right. know, it's enough to have to make them be shelf stable at like 80 degrees for three years or something. Right. <laughs> like a crazy requirement. They also have to survive being dropped out of a plane. So, Incredible. Um, but yeah, I went up to the, the Natick Center in Massachusetts, which is where they develop these rations and um, got a got to to try a bunch of them with uh-huh. the people who develop them. And it was just really interesting. I mean, the reason I was there is I figured, okay, if there's one organization in the country that is really interested in optimizing performance through diet, it's the U.S. military because they're not sure. allowed to give, you know, drugs to, this, to the uh, warfighters, as they're known, but they are allowed to, um, you know, create rations that that supposedly will do good things for your health. And if, and they are investigating things like anti-inflammatory compounds that potentially could be added to the rations, but which are dietary compounds. So I figured if I looked at what was in the rations, I might get a sense of what we actually know about whether vitamins can boost your short-term performance in the mm-hmm. way that many of us assume they can when we take airborne, for example. Right. And so what I found really interesting is that actually, no, <laughs> they don't have any extra vitamins in the rations, in the MREs. They basically are all designed to bring you up to the recommended um, you know, amount set by the Surgeon General for required the daily military. amount or whatever it is. Yeah, the RDA. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, but they're not trying to go higher than that. Mm-hmm. And the only compound that they found that they actually do at the moment, like actively put in, that has the most research behind it is caffeine, mm. which is pretty funny because it's not really a dietary. I mean, that's not like an essential nutrient. It's a stimulant. It's a drug. And it's pretty much been. <laughs> Yeah, it's been <laughs> grandfathered in from the days when rations also had alcohol and cigarettes in them. Yeah. <laughs> but, well, you had you dined on some caffeinated meat sticks. Tell us about those. Yeah, caffeinated <laughs> meat sticks. I mean, just for starters, it's so insane. Of my visit was uh, yeah, they set out this buffet of all of these. Um, MREs in development. And it was funny because, you know, they had a very nice um, camouflage tablecloth and there were these pretty white plates <laughs> and all of this selection of entrees, which I just found fascinating. So I was having yeah, a great awesome. time. And then one of the things they served me was this bowl of these uh, beef jerky sticks, basically, mm-hmm. and their caffeinated meat. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> and they showed me this video um, of Brian Williams' uh, Rock Center show in which he tried all these products. Oh, really? He was like stuffing down the caffeinated meat sticks and I just <laughs> You know, I was inspired, and so I started to eat them, but I didn't realize they'd cut my sticks up into pieces, which made it really hard to gauge how much I was actually eating. And I have, like, never felt that good in my life. I felt amazing, (laughs) amazing after that. I had gotten up at, like, 4 o'clock in the morning to fly to Boston, and... I think the session after lunch was about like osmotic sterilization or something. And uh-huh. I was just like, this is fascinating. Tell me more about this. Like, <laughs> I, like eight hours later, I was still talking even faster than I normally do. I just felt fantastic. And I was like, basically, I couldn't sleep. But anyway, yeah. it was an interesting, an interesting experience. Yeah, I, they do sell these commercially, I believe. And it's known as Perky Jerky, which is a very no. appropriate name. Totally, man. Move over Red Bull. <laughs> I know, right? Yeah, sure. <laughs> um, anyway, I wanted to talk about some of the adverse effects uh, for a few minutes. Um, uh, 
Because you had a couple, you know, because people think if they take more of a vitamin, it's going to be better for them. And you had a great case study with L-tryptophan, which I remember when that was, you know, like all the rage. And I also know that people, when they eat turkey, they're all buzzing about how the L-tryptophan is so great. But it turns out it wasn't so great. So let's hear what happened with that. Right. So that's an example of something that's not a vitamin, but a dietary supplement that okay, play right, a huge right. role in yeah. showing the dangers of having those two terms be confused. Mm-hmm. And that was basically, um, as you just said, uh, very trendy in the um, early 90s. A lot of people were taking L-tryptophan as a, as a, to treat their insomnia. Mm-hmm. Then this mysterious illness started to emerge that um, caused paralysis and, and all sorts of like really horribly debilitating symptoms in the people who suffered from it. No one knew what it was from. Eventually it was traced back to this dietary supplement and um, they never actually found out exactly what was causing it in the supplement, but it's thought to be a contaminant from a particular manufacturer that got into the Mm. batches that particular people were susceptible to. Um, But anyway, what what was sad about it in addition to all the people who, I mean, some people's lives were truly ruined. It was really horrible. But the thing is that it actually is a treatment for insomnia, like L-tryptophan, which is an amino acid, could have an actual um, beneficial use. And the people who were studying it thought that some company would probably take it, do the trials that were necessary, and turn it into some kind of over-the-counter prescription drug, something basically that did have um, proof of safety and efficacy Mm -hmm. behind it. And instead, it was sold as a dietary supplement, which did not require those things. And it really hurt people, and that ruined its reputation. And as a result, you know, no company is going to invest in making that into a product. So it it really kind of potentially prevented a useful and um, unharmful thing because the scientists who were studying it thought that it actually didn't have that many side effects when properly used and could be a really useful sleep aid, you know, from ever being developed into a product. But to get to your question about vitamins, we do have this assumption that if a little bit is necessary and then a lot must be better and, you know, at very worst, it must be neutral. And I came to the conclusion that that's not really a good attitude to have because if you think about anything else that you would take, Tylenol, I mean, even water, if you need a certain amount of it to get rid of your headache or stay hydrated, that's one thing. If you were to drink 15 gallons of water at one time, you could die. So the same thing with with vitamins. and. And also, when you get beyond, like, the amount that you could naturally get from food, it's really no longer a nutritional supplement. It's really more like a drug. And when people say that you just pee it out, you know, people will say, oh, take as much of the B's and the C's, which are water-soluble, as you want. You'll just pee it out. But that's – there's a big gap between the amount that you need, which is minuscule, Mm -hmm. and the amount it will take to saturate your body and then have it come out in your urine. It's kind of like a house plant, right? Like, it needs a little bit of water to stay alive. It takes a lot more water to get it to totally saturate the soil and then drain out the bottom. There's a big gap in there. And that big gap can cause its roots to rot or do other bad things to the plant. So I just don't think it's a good idea to constantly saturate our bodies with high doses of any of the vitamins because mm-hmm. um, we just don't know what that does over time. Yeah, absolutely. And in some cases, we do know that it's it's dangerous. <laughs> yes. I mean, you uh, you point, I think vitamin E is not so great for you in huge amounts. And there was another vitamin that you identified as yeah. being potentially quite there harmful. There were some studies on, yeah, yeah, on, on vitamin E and then also beta carotene was a big that was one. That was it, which yes. Is a, a precursor to vitamin A, and the thought was that it, it acts as an antioxidant in the body, which um, is a kind of compound that counteracts a kind of compound called free radicals that can mm-hmm. damage DNA. And there were several really large-scale, well-done studies in the 90s um, with large doses of beta-carotene, and everyone thought they'd be 
good, and they thought they'd be particularly good for people who, say, smoked because they have a lot of free radicals from the cigarette smoke. And what happened was two of the trials showed a really dramatic increase in the rate of lung cancer among the people taking the high doses of beta-carotene. I mean, so much so, one of them was 28% that they, oh 28% increased risk that they stopped the trial early. Yeah. And it's kind of like, wait a second, this is exactly the opposite of what we thought would happen right. when you gave people high doses of these supposedly beneficial compounds. Yeah. What does that mean? Right. Well, we we got to take a little sponsor drop here, Catherine, but um, stay with us and listeners, stay with us. We'll be right back uh, talking about Vitamania, the obsessive quest for nutritional perfection. Break song today is called Kami Mami by Nair. This is HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Today's program is brought to you by Byright, a family-owned San Francisco-grown market. For more information, visit ByWrightMarket.com. Byright is a family-owned and San Francisco-grown market that is passionate about creating community through food. From organic farm direct local produce, sustainably raised meats, and artisan cheeses, to food-friendly wines, house-made foods, and dinners, Byright is an essential San Francisco destination for any food lover or cook. And no trip is complete without a visit to the renowned Byright Creamery and Bake Shop for a scoop of salted caramel ice cream. Now celebrating 75 years in the Mission District of San Francisco. Visit buyrightmarket.com to learn more. Buyright is a proud business member of Heritage Radio Network, supporting good food media from coast to coast. This is What Doesn't Kill You, Food Industry Insights. I'm your host, Katie Kiefer. We're talking Vitamania today with author Catherine Price. Um, And so, Catherine, we are now at the point where I want to talk about how there is very little ability to track adverse effects and why there are virtually no regulations governing the manufacture and marketing of vitamins and supplements. How did that happen? Yeah, the United States is interesting in the way that it regulates vitamins and supplements. It's very different from most other countries. So should say first off that the industry will be down our throats if we say it's not regulated because it is regulated. It's just not regulated the way that you or I or many other people might assume that it is Mm -hmm or want it to be if we thought about it. (laughs) Right. So um, basically, in America, dietary supplements, the much larger category that includes Mm -hmm. vitamins, they don't have to be tested for safety or for efficacy before they're sold. So basically, the onus is on the FDA to figure out if a product is potentially dangerous uh, or harmful or ineffective after it's on the market and then prove in court that it is those things and then try to get it taken off the shelves, Mm -hmm. which is a very difficult thing to do. So far, there's only been one ingredient that's actually been banned, ephedra, uh, which is a stimulant. And you can still find that on the internet. I mean, it's not difficult to get yourself some ephedra if you'd really like to. Which is basically Um, speed, right? Yeah. Isn't ephedra essentially speed? uh, It's not good. (laughs) And so we've ended up with this situation in this country where People ask me all the time, how do I pick a good vitamin? How do I pick a good dietary supplement? I mean, really anything in this category. And it's extremely difficult to answer that question because no one is required to do proactive testing on these things. Mm -hmm. Um, And I just, I don't know, I find that disturbing myself. And it's not because I don't think some of these things do stuff in your body. I think that's exactly why I'm concerned is that Mm -hmm. a lot of these products are not just uh, inert 
you, I mean, right. the whole reason you're taking a dietary supplement is because you want it to do something. So I personally want to know that it's doing what it says, that that's safe, and that what it says on the bottle is actually in the bottle. Right. And uh, as we know, I think it was Eric Schneiderman in New York, the attorney general, uh, recently launched an investigation into supplements and found that they are largely made of anything but what they say they are. And that goes back to something you described called the Proxmire Amendment, if I'm not mistaken. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. Yeah, there are two big pieces of legislation in the U.S. that profoundly affected the dietary supplement market, and that's one of them. Um, it was an amendment passed in 1976, also known as the Vitamin Mineral Amendment, mm-hmm. um, and basically it forbids the FDA from ever defining what a supp- what a like vitamin supplement should be or setting limits on the amount of vitamins <laughs> or minerals in a product. And what that means in practice is like. If you want to say, like, if you bought an extra strength Tylenol, you right. pretty much know what you'd know what the dose was, and you know it was Tylenol. It would be defined. But if you buy a um, multivitamin, that term actually doesn't mean anything. So if you look at different products, you'll find different vitamins and minerals in different amounts. Like a gummy vitamin, which I know many adults actually love. Don't be embarrassed if you're one of those people, because <laughs> I can tell you, I heard a lot of confessions about how many people love gummy vitamins. But those have Candy. different vitamins in them from chewable vitamins or from a swallow, you know, a pill that you would swallow. Uh-huh. Um, they're not all the same. So that was one amendment that kind of made it impossible to ever set limits. It also means if you wanted to sell a vitamin that has 200 times the amount of vitamin C that you supposedly need in a day, that's fine. There's no limit on that. And it does not need to be regulated any differently from a vitamin that provides vitamin C in the amount you could get from like a cantaloupe. Uh-huh. So, so that was an interesting one. And then the even bigger law was called the Dietary Supplement Health and Education Act, and right. that was passed in 1994, and that was heavily influenced, heavily, heavily, in fact, written basically by the supplement industry, mm-hmm. and that's the one that forbade the FDA from ever being able to require that supplements get tested for, be required to be tested for safety or efficacy before being sold. And it also broadly expanded the category to include all these herbals and botanicals and enzymes and mm. metabolites and or what are they called? Glandulars, like ground up glands, Ew. bodybuilding powders, all that stuff um, into that category. So that was a huge huge change yeah. in how things were regulated. Now, that was that was driven by um, not only the industry, but isn't uh, Senator Orrin Hatch in Utah a great proponent of the supplement industry, being as how they make an enormous amount of money off of it? Yeah. Like, I mean, is, I'd like to identify um, some of the political the figures here that are, are you know, have basically, um, you know, joined hands with the supplement industry and are undoubtedly getting kickbacks of some right. sort. Right. I mean, Definitely, because supplements in Utah are the state's biggest uh, industry. Mm -hmm. The latest number I saw was $7.2 billion, Mm -hmm. I believe. So like any politician representing the state, I mean, he's really, well, he also really loves vitamins. He's taken them since he was a young man and is personally devoted to the cause. So he, yeah, Orrin Hatch is definitely, as they say, a natural ally, I think is how he was referred to in one thing I read, Mm -hmm. of the supplement industry. So there's a lot of stuff going on between politicians and the industry. Yeah. What's interesting to me is that the industry managed to kind of get the public to join in on this fight. Yes. And one of the ways they did that is to conflate the terms vitamin and supplements and make people think that the FDA in the 90s was planning on taking away your access to vitamin C or regulating your oranges as prescription drugs. And so they'd mm-hmm. use the word vitamin. Mm-hmm. What they really meant was dietary supplement. And I suggest if anyone wants like a good laugh to Google um, Mel Gibson vitamin C uh, dietary <laughs> supplement. I don't know. Like, Excellent. There's, there's a hysterical video that was made <laughs> by one of these groups 
where it's like nighttime in LA and there's this SWAT team of men with rifles who jump out of the back of a truck and they break into a house, which is Mel Gibson's, and Mel Gibson is in his bathrobe taking a vitamin C tablet, you know, and they demand him to drop his vitamin C and it's like, hey guys, it's the same stuff that's in oranges, and then it's like right to the, you know, right to Congress, tell them not to take your vitamins away. Yeah, and it was so effective. I was just on the radio with um, David Kessler, who was the commissioner of the FDA when all mm-hmm. this was going on, and he said, compared to that, the supplement industry put big tobacco to shame. <laughs> And that's that's hard to do. You know what I also right. loved about that story is that it really reminds me of how Republicans have fought back against gun regulation, because it's essentially the same fight, which is <clears throat> they're trying to take away our basic right, whether it's to own and carry a weapon or to own and eat vitamin supplements. Um, and it's it's really it's it becomes a fight about whether or not you as a citizen are having your rights abrogated. It's it it doesn't take into account the impact of either having open carry laws or, you know, overdosing on vitamins. You know what I mean? Like there's no cost, sort of the ultimate costs of these things um, is not calculated in the big equation, but that, but it's the same technique. And I suppose that can, that also goes for the tobacco industry, right? Well, yeah, I mean, it's a very effective technique, I think, to frame in America, to frame things in terms of personal freedom. And what I think is interesting about the supplement side of that is that it's, you know, oh, I want my right to take my supplement. But what you forget about is that is it really, I mean, how free do you really feel if you can't tell what's in the supplement or what it's going to do to you? Exactly. Or whether it's safe. So, I mean, I would like to have the freedom to take a multivitamin if I would like. But I also would really appreciate it if there was some kind of safeguard in place to make sure that it actually was doing it was what it was going to say. Like that would, much like I appreciate the fact that there's a police force out there so that I can walk down the street and do whatever free things I want to do on the street, I'd like to know that there's some kind of safety built into the system with these things I'm ingesting. Yeah, no question about it. I mean, one of the things you point out is like, you know, when they, I think it was David Kessler actually, when he was investigating uh, the supplement industry was discovering that uh, in fact, actual drugs are often included Included in supplements, and one of them was, um, you know, a tab, a, a, a capsule that included literally a chunk of a broken Viagra tablet. I mean, this is, yeah, this is something I did not know before I started researching this book. And I should say, first of all, there are good players in the dietary supplement industry who are trying to do the right thing, and there are vitamin makers. Like most of the um, the really big companies that make like letter vitamin ingredients, they often uh, manufacture things up to pharmaceutical standards. So I don't mean to like put all the industry into one horrible sure. basket, but they themselves would recognize that because there are these fringe players who are doing truly sketchy things. And one of the things is that you actually do have a problem where things being marketed as dietary supplements can have versions of prescription drugs in them or illegal drugs. Um, this is so much a problem that the uh, the anti-doping agency actually has to warn athletes about mm. bodybuilding powders, for example, because you can think you're just having, you're just taking dietary supplements, and then if you try to go to the Olympics, you take a drug test, you've got steroids in your system, right. you can't compete. Or the FDA commissioner, um, the most recent, Margaret Hamburger, she sent a letter in 2010 to dietary supplement makers saying, hey, listen, a lot of your products have been found to have things like beta blockers, antidepressants, anticoagulants, you know, anticonvulsants, stimulants, uh, you know, Viagra. There's like 70 different analogs of Viagra that have been found in these products. And as you're saying, I did speak to an analytical chemist who opened up a tablet of a supposed Chinese herbal sexual enhancement product and a piece of a Viagra fell out of it. You know, and it's like if your Chinese herb really works like Viagra, it's probably because it has Viagra. It is. (laughs) 
The other one that you, you know, talked that, about was the breast enhancer. That was fascinating. <laughs> Let's just, well, we yeah. have a couple of minutes. Let's just tell what that was. Cause that was really, and it caused like incredibly bad acne. <laughs> right. Yeah. There was this product. I mean, so I, that's scary. I hate to pick on it cause there are far, there are more absurd ones than this, but it was a product called natural curves. That supposedly is a natural breast enhancer, hundred percent natural, oh, yeah. naturally enhances your curve. Like the number of times natural is on the label of this product is pretty hysterical along with a picture of a busty woman's, right. you know, cleavage. But anyway, yeah, you're supposed to take this, and it's supposed to have a natural blend of whatever that naturally makes your cup size bigger. And what was crazy is if you look at the online reviews, so you'll see that people will – first of all, they gave it great reviews. They but did. then they would say things like, my entire body broke out in acne. I was like being a teenage girl again. Um, I don't know what to do about all my pimples. And what I just found was crazy is that clearly this product is doing something to them because it right. is – affecting their hormones because they're breaking out. I don't know what it's doing to their breasts, but you don't just like randomly turn into a 15-year-old girl in terms of your skin right. if there's nothing happening from this product. But who knows what is happening from this product because no one's required to study it beforehand. Right. And that's the kind of stuff that I find the most disturbing. It's not the things that actually are waste of money. It's the stuff that does stuff to you. Yes. I mean, I, your point is so well taken. I mean, it's just, it's just shocking. I would, I would be so distressed if I, I mean, well, I mean, just the idea of using a pill to make your breasts grow is so stupid to begin with. And, and actually, since you say there are other more egregious ones, tell me like two more, two more egregiously crazy supplements. Oh man. I don't know. I think I'd probably have to go with the ones that have the drugs in them. So oh. I may have given away my <laughs> punchline. But I think the fact that you could buy something that you think is just an herb or you think that, I don't know. I mean, it's just so easy to want to trust all these things when you go in the drugstore because they're an aisle away from Claritin, right? Or like, yes. And yeah, and, and to realize that, wait a second, no, that's not true. <laughs> there could be anything in here. And actually just this weekend, I was at the... Um, Natural Expo show in California, which is the largest oh, uh, show for the, yeah, for Expo West for the natural foods and supplements industry. Right. And to walk the, there's like 78,000 people who go to this show, just to give another example of how big this overall industry is mm -hmm. when you include um, the natural foods. But the dietary supplement area, <laughs> it's like aisle after aisle after aisle of all of these supplement ingredients that are on sale that you as a creator of supplements can choose to blend together to create your product. And what's also crazy to me is that the, 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 the claims for these things are just word games. Mm -hmm. You're not allowed to actually say it will uh, make your breast bigger or, you know, clear up your acne. You will say it supports breast health right. or, you know, improves something. Yeah. And that is part of this law that we were just talking about. You can't make a disease claim. But if you look at how anyone's taking any of these things, we're taking them as drugs. If you take airborne, it's to prevent a cold, right. it's not to support your immune system. And so anyway, I just find it kind of crazy how you're allowed to basically make whatever claim you want as long as you frame it in the right language. That's right. And then you can get yourself out of um, having to prove anything. That's right. And then if something bad happens, well, you know, good luck to the FDA for trying to prove that it's your thing that's doing that. And also when you talk right. about the wholesale, like this fair, which has the wholesale convention, has the wholesale products that go into supplements, like where are those coming from? Who's synthesizing the, you know, I don't know, uh, black cohosh or the, you know, whatever it is. Right. I mean, who's and making those? That's a very those? good question because I, I, I always thought that whoever put the things in the pill made the stuff, which mm -hmm. is totally naive and incorrect, it turns out. But, yeah, there are huge supply chains. I mean, especially 
not especially, but if you think about herbs in particular, like where was the herb grown? Who harvested the herb? Did they know what they were doing? Like, did someone add something to that blend? How long has it been sitting around? All these things, by the time you get to the pill form, so that means actually the manufacturer of the pill could think they were doing everything right, but someone in their supply chain screwed up or Mm -hmm. deceived them or put Viagra in it, and they could be tricked too. So it's like a whole lot of steps where you could be tricked by what's in these things. Yeah. Well, one place that you mentioned um, that I thought was a good place to just tune into for um, a database on what things are supposed to do to what was the National Center for Complementary and Alternative Medicine. Tell us mm-hmm. a little, because they had some sort of a database there that you referred to numerous times and, and as a source of information on what, what, were, what things were in supplements and what they were supposed to do for you. And I thought that was... Well, that one... Is that yeah, right? there's Did a couple of resources I'd like to tell people about. Yeah. Unfortunately, because of the regulation, if you do want to take dietary supplements, um, which is a choice I suggest questioning in itself, but if you're going to take mm-hmm. some of these herbal botanical, all this stuff, you really need to do your homework. So one source is uh, the yeah, National Center for Complementary Medicine, which is NIH. They have an herbs, in a gl- herbs at a glance part that kind of yeah. goes over some of the science for the various herbs and will tell you what is known, what's not known, what the potential side effects are, things like that. Uh, another there's another couple I really like. Uh, consumerlab.com is I think the one you're talking about, where it's a mm. third-party organization that pulls supplements off the shelves and tests them to make sure that they have what they say that they have in the bottle. Right. Um, they don't test for safety or efficacy. No one's testing for that, but at least they will give you a brand by brand analysis of how these how they're doing. And they also have a good uh, roundup of the science behind these things. Mm. That one requires a. a small subscription. I don't remember exactly how much it is. Then there's also, um, if you look for USP verified seal mm-hmm. on products or um, NSF, those are two other third-party organizations that companies can hire to verify their own products. So that's useful. Don't get confused by USP as a brand name. That's different. It has to be USP verified uh-huh. as a seal. And but- then Labdoor is another, um, a new player on the market that does similar things to Consumer Lab where they test things and put reports up. So I recommend those resources if you're uh, looking to buy a supplement or a multivitamin. Yeah, because they will at least steer you towards a company that has, that's products have what they say are in them, in them. Exactly. Right? exactly but they yeah. still, but obviously, I mean, just to reiterate again, these products are not tested. They are not obliged to, um, you know, be what they say. I mean, what am I trying to say here? They're not tested, basically. So their efficacy is not is questionable. Um, their long-term effects are unknown. So there's a lot of hidden, inf- you know, the lack of information about these products, which is why ultimately um, the supplement and vitamin industry should be sticking pins in your voodoo doll right now. <laughs> <laughs> They're going to stick pins in your voodoo doll. <laughs> No, I thought this anyway. Um, I wish you'd spend the last couple of minutes just promoting the hell out of this book. And so, tell us about your website and your readings, your events. You know what's 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 going on. Where else can people hear about this book? Yeah, well, um, yeah, my website is Catherine-Price.com. There's an acupuncturist named Catherine Price, who I believe has a straight-up name. But if you Google my name, Catherine with a C, uh, Price, that you'll be able to find it. And I, there I have a bunch of um, clippings of other stuff I've done and, and articles about the book and stuff. And, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, if people would want to order it, that would be the, the best thing. And as you said, yes. and I'm so glad you thought this, I really tried to come at it from a, a fun perspective, you know, just as a curious consumer to say, hey, wait a second, I 
think I, I eat these things every day in terms of vitamins, but I have no idea what, what they are. Like, let's yeah. just have a curious look at this. What do they actually taste like when you when you look at thiamine in a jar? You oh, know, I know. I that? loved that part where you tasted all of the compounds and the apple. You had that little transcript <laughs> of your apple. Like, ew, ew. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Concentrated apples, disgusting. It was so surprising. But yeah, but I was just amazed. I don't know. I just found the whole process really interesting to realize mm. how much we don't know and just to kind of get into like fun details of this stuff and a lot of the the interviews I've done have focused on, as we just did, the really like, you know, heavy stuff like the regulation and how this could be hurting us and things like that. But a lot of the book is also just kind of a curious look at what totally. is in food, what do we know about food, and um, yeah, how should that affect how we think about what we eat? So I'm really glad you enjoyed it. Oh, I loved it. It was brilliant. I've been talking it up to everybody I know, and I will continue to do so. But I think that, you know, the best, the, the most basic takeaway from, about this book that everyone should be listening, you know, should be ingesting themselves is that if you eat a good diet with plenty of fresh food, whether it's fruits, vegetables, or whole grains, you will get everything and more that you possibly could from ingesting any pill in any form. You know, it's just as simple as that. You just got to eat right. And the science is right. There's showing no that. magic. There's yeah. no magic bullets, unfortunately. No, there isn't. But at the same time, it's like eating right is just that is the magic bullet. And you don't need all right, this stuff. Right. And, you know, yeah. these guys are making a lot of money off of us. And uh, there's many, many credible people out there. And it's kind of, you know, it's it's really not it's not an industry that I would like to see perpetuated in any way myself frankly except for when it's vitamins like vitamin a for developing countries and you're saving people from night blindness you know that's a different story but right um, or you know there's people who have deficiencies here but then to sure. have these and then the supplementation can be really important but like, like you're saying to lump all these things into the same category i think does the good players a disservice and yes. puts all of us at risk of the bad players and that's yeah. not something i as a consumer want to have absolutely well it's a fascinating book and a great interview i really enjoyed this Catherine. what are you working on now Besides oh, promoting your rest. book. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. you have... Trying to eat right. <laughs> right, right. Well, you have an event coming up that's going to require a lot of that. So <laughs> I hope that's all going well. And um, come back anytime. This was really fun. So whenever you have Thank an interesting you so topic you want to like address with me, whether it's an article or something like that, keep me in the loop. I'd love to have you back. I'd love to join you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Okay. And thanks to my wonderful sponsor, Buy Right Market in San Francisco, where you can get all of those great fresh fruits, vegetables, and whole grains that you need, and you won't have to buy any supplements. Take care. We'll see you next week with Barry Estabrook. Thanks for listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us with questions anytime at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening. 